Nope, we don't need to speed up the process. We don't need to nuke this. You know why? Because this is the non-microwave truth. I am C.L. Whiteside, and this is brought to you by Time of Grace Ministry. If this is your first time joining us on the podcast, you better believe this is a podcast that will challenge culture's truth and culture's perspective using God's word. And I know some of y'all out there are spiritually hungry. You're spiritually hungry. You want to be fed. Go check out timeofgrace.org. There's so many different resources on there that can help you get spiritually fed from Pastor Mike's sermons to other podcasts, to blogs, to devotions, to short videos breaking down scripture. Go check it out. Get fed. Go eat. That's timeofgrace.org. Now, let's get into our first world problem today. Now, a lot of you know that I work in education, so I work with students of all different ages, happen to see kids of all different ages, and nothing trips me out more than when I see a little boy or, or a young man thinking and saying, I'm a man, I'm a man. It's like, boy, you're not really a man. I know what you think or what you mean. You mean that you feel like you are growing into a man or that you have a certain trait or a certain responsibility that makes you a man, but we're going to look a lot today today we're going to take a great look at what does it mean to be a man and this is a first world problem question right here i just want you to think about what is the most manly trait that you think a man can possess what is the most manly trait or characteristic that you think a man can possess is it like being protective or, or courageous or being tough or being super competitive like what do you think is the trait and what is your favorite trait that you think a man should possess. I wanna hear from you. I really wanna hear from you on this one. And I want you to think about this. If I said this is a God-fearing man, man, would that change the way you answer that question? Love to hear from you, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. If you're on YouTube, drop it in the comments right now. Yes, right now, drop it in the comments. What is the most manly trait a man can possess, especially a God-fearing man? Handle is Champion Life 23, and this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode is Bruh, Be a Man. Now, if you are a woman, don't tune this episode out or say this is not for me because I know you have some males that are around you, and this will help you appreciate them or encourage them to be this type of man that we're going to talk about today. Now in our culture, in our society, what do they say it takes to be a man? Now just think about certain movies or certain television shows. They'll tell you that a man is strong. He's usually well built. They'll tell you that a man doesn't take any mess. A man is going to be very tough. You better believe, ha, 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 he's gonna be tough. They would tell you a lot of times that that man is going to be able to get a lot of women. It's going to be something that is attractive, attractive about him, that women are going to be like, "Ooh, I like him. And in a lot of cases, they're going to say that that man is going to have some type of leadership or he's going to have some type of charisma or confidence that is just so attractive. Even can be borderline arrogant. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, they'd be like, if he's soft, if he's passive, if he just lets people run all over him, he's not a real man. And we're going to look at that today. Now, the greatest man of all time, it's not even close. It's Jesus. The manliest of the man is Jesus Christ. But there are traits sometimes that get overlooked or traits sometimes that the world will say he wasn't really a, a man in that regard. 
Now, we're going to look at some people in the Bible. And the first person that I want to look at today and the trait that's oftentimes overlooked is protectiveness. Now, how many times would a woman say, man, I just want a man who makes me feel protected or a man's like, man, I have to protect my family. I have to protect my mother. I have to protect what is mine. But as a God fearing man, there's something that we often overlook to protect. And that's the spiritual well-being of ourselves and those around us, protecting God's will. And what we see in Genesis chapter three is when we forget about this, when we don't prioritize this, there are some major problems. And Adam, he did not protect the spiritual well-being of his woman, of his, of his wife, and he didn't protect his own spiritual well-being. Now, in Genesis chapter three, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. I just want to stop right there in Genesis chapter two, because I wonder when she said you must not touch it. Was that something that Adam made up to try to get her like, hey, baby, don't babe, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Or did God actually say this to her? But in Genesis chapter two, it makes no mention of God saying, don't touch it. And it also makes it seem as though God gave the command to Adam and then Adam was to give the command to Eve. And I just thought that was interesting how he it seems that he added that part like you must not touch it either. Now, in Genesis chapter three, verse six, we continue. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit from the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So when I read that, I'm just like, wait, wait a minute. Was, was Adam just sitting there the whole time chilling and being passive? He, it's like it sounds like he had to be somewhere very, very close by. And it's one of those things like if you hear your wife talking, there's only two people in the garden. It's like, baby, who are you talking to? You talking to God? Is he here to take a walk with us? It's like, no, you talking to some serpent. He didn't do anything about it. And I always just like wonder, like, did he low key wanted to see what, what would happen? But even in this instant, she gave him the fruit. He didn't say, no, no, put that fruit down. He He ate some, too. He ate some, too. And that's the exact opposite of being protective. Now, our Lord and Savior is very protective in that regard. He kills. He cares so much about our spiritual well-being, and he proved that. That's the whole reason he died on the cross for us. That's the whole reason that he came to earth for each and every one of us. He's very protective of our spiritual well-being. Now, the second trait is courage. A lot of times as men, we look for the easiest path. We look for the easiest path. And we see that the same thing happened with Abraham. Abraham had a fine wife. She was fine, like fine, fine. She was so fine that when they went places, he was afraid like they might say, "Ooh, take that woman, give her, give her to me. Like when he went to Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, he lied. Well, he didn't necessarily lie, but he was like, this is my sister because I don't, I think they're going to kill me. That's probably the easiest thing to do instead of standing up and like, hey, this is my woman. Like, chill out. Like you, you can't have her. He just went ahead and said, yeah, this is my sister. And he ended up taking her and that king ended up getting some diseases and God had to come through and rescue him. 
Now, later, though, and this is where we're a lot like Abraham, is we're very roller coaster ish with our courageousness as, as men. In Genesis chapter 14, he rescues his nephew who gets taken by some kings, who gets kidnapped. He goes and he rescues him. He has the confidence to do that, the confidence in God. Like, it's like he's courageous enough to, to do that. But then we look later on, he sleeps with Hagar. He sleeps with his wife's servant because he doesn't have the courage to be like, no, babe, we're going to stick to the plan that God has given us. We, instead, it was like, okay, let's try to help God out. He tried to take the easy way. Or another time in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham again said, this is my sister. Instead of being like, this is my wife. Y'all not going to touch her. God has got me. And that's just something for us to think about as men. We pick and choose some interesting times to be courageous. But with God, we can be courageous with so many more things. We can know what things to pick because by getting in his word, he'll make it more clear to us. But it's like, man, we pick some weird things to stand on. But when it comes to God fearing things, we don't stand on those things. We'll stand if you're talking crazy about my name and want to fight, but we won't stand on other things. So I, I just find it interesting and I'm guilty of that as well. Now, Aiden, when your mom asks you something about what's an important trait, you make sure you say this, Aiden. You tell her that confidence in God, confidence in God and understanding as God fearing men, as God fearing people, we, we all have a purpose and a specific plan assigned to us from God. Like we don't have to have any fear. We don't have to be scared. Now, Caleb and Joshua are a prime example of having confidence in God, having confidence in God's plan and his purpose for them. In Numbers chapter 14, verse six, we see Caleb and Joshua like, hey, we can go ahead and take this land. Now, give you some background with this. There were 12 spies, 10 of them, 10 of them were super scared and gave a bad report because you know why? They saw giants in the land that they were supposed to go conquer. And they like, hold up, giants? Ha, yeah, I know a butt whooping when I see one and I'm not about to get one. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell these people that this land is bad because I don't wanna go fight these people and then have them be have them take me and make me slaves because we can't defeat these people. Uh-uh, we can't do it. Y'all crazy. You see them giants about eight, nine feet tall. Like, come on now. And they gave this bad report. So think about this. This is 10 against two. Now, as men, as, as God-fearing people, how many times when the crowd goes against us, do we not stand firm for God? Do we not have confidence in God? Do we not trust in the plan that he has? Do not trust in the purpose that he has given us? But this is awesome that Caleb and Joshua did this. It says in Numbers chapter 14, starting at verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. So they like, we're going to, we going to, boy, we're going to whoop these people up because of God. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And a lot of times when people talk about canceling us or putting harm to us, we tuck and we run. But a God-fearing man, when he's standing for the Lord, he's not going to tuck and run. That's going to be a fight. He, he's willing to fight. Hallelujah, we can do it. We can definitely do it. Now, something about a God-fearing man, something that we got to look at on this episode of, bruh, be a man. If you really want to be a man, you have to be spirit-led. Spirit-led. 
Don't be flesh led. Don't be demon led. Don't be led by things of this world. Be spirit led. Holy Spirit led. Now, sometimes it's like, man, I really don't know what the spirit is telling me. Like, how do I know what the spirit is saying? That's one of the reasons why it's so important to know God's word and then be obedient to God's word. Because that will a lot of that's how the spirit is going to talk to us in a lot of instances in our day and age. Now, when you think about this, this is something that the world will tell you will make you a man. You know, when you become a man, boy, is when you get you some, when you have you some sex, then you really a man. That's like that bad uncle advice right there, because we know what Joseph, Joseph passed up on sex and he fled from having sex because he didn't want to sin against God. He was a Holy Spirit led man. And, and with that, a lot of times people look at, especially from a man's standpoint, they look at sex as like a, a self-fulfilling. It's almost like an idol, something that really makes you a man when like guys like that doesn't make you any more of a man. You know what makes you a man? The fact that Jesus Christ died for you and you can be courageous. You can be spirit led because of him, because of him. Now, when we are our, our man, we have to understand if you want to be at your best, if you want to be at your best, you cannot be flesh led. You need to be spirit led. If you want to be at your best, be spirit led, not flesh led. Now, as men, we are spiritual leaders. It is our assignment it is our duty to be spiritual leaders. Now, there are times where we got to lead and say, all right, watch what I'm doing because I'm being obedient. Lead by my I'm leading by example. Uh, follow what I'm doing. And there are also going to be times when we're in the back and we're, we're pushing people for us and all right, let's stay on this path that God has for us. Let's stay on this path of doing things the right way. Let's stay on this path that looks the opposite of, of what the world says. Now, part of being a man is you need to admit when you are wrong. So I'm going to take this time out to admit I'm wrong about something. So last episode, I talked about Galatians chapter six, verse eight. And that's the passage that says, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh, will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And the awesome editor, Pastor Shoopy, shout out to you, my man. He was like, hey, you got to be careful with what you said. You were wrong in the way that you said that because I used the word worry. I was like, don't be worried about pleasing your flesh, which which is fine. But then I added to it. I said, you should be worried about your spiritual well-being and worried is a wrong, bad word because worry means to be like anxious. And Jesus tells us like, hey, don't be worried about a thing. Don't be worried about anything because I'm that dude. I'm good. So I got to admit I'm wrong. Now, the beautiful thing about this. Our Lord and Savior, he never admits he's wrong. You know why? Because he's never been wrong. He's been perfect. He lived a perfect life for us. Our God is perfect. That's that's just awesome. But as men, we got to admit when we're wrong. We got to admit when we're wrong. So I had to practice without preaching that. Because the word I should have used is like prioritize or focus. Anything but worry. Worry is not a good word because Jesus said don't worry. Now, the next trait, the next characteristic that I want to look at is, is toughness. When you are a man of God, you are tough. Now, our culture and our world and our society, a lot of times we, we got to look at Jesus. They will look at Jesus and say, you know what? Jesus was too nice or Jesus was actually soft. But we forget at times that Jesus was flipping tables. Now, I'm not going to say model when Jesus was in the temple flipping tables because they was in there, turn it into a circus and everything because we don't have righteous and holy and perfect anger. A lot of times our anger is going to have some sin in it. But I'm going to look at some other ways that, that Jesus was really, really tough. One of the ways is, man, Jesus was the son of a carpenter. So 
had to be good with his hands. We know that anything Jesus did, it, it was great. It was awesome. Another way to look at this is that so many times we look at Jesus's life and sometimes we start to think like it was easy because Jesus is God and man. But when you really think about this, Jesus was man also. And Jesus didn't like just tap into his divine nature and be God and just make everything easy for himself and just coast like I'm God. Oh, so easy. Like it, he didn't he didn't do that. You know, with his life and with his death, we see that he used he lived a, a human life. Jesus did not make like constant um, use of his glory, of his godly properties. He didn't do that. He used and he was in the human nature like he suffered. He died. He was thirsty. He he did all those things. Something else that Jesus did was he fasted for 40 days. This is in Matthew chapter four, verse one through eleven. 40 days. Some of us can't last 40 minutes. Definitely can't last 40 hours, but 40 days, like that's a long time. And then you know what happened after he fasted? He was tempted. He was tempted. You talk about being tough. That is beyond tough. I can't even imagine or, or fathom not eating for 40 days. That, like that's crazy to me. Um, I think about in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, even when Jesus like wanted to get away, and sometimes as men and sometimes as people, we want to get away. He still had compassion on the crowds. He still had compassion on the crowds to show them that he was the, the Lord and Savior, to show them and give them the, the absolute best. And I think about in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, when he was feeding the five, feeding the 4,000. It's like these people followed him and it's like, you have been with me so many days. Like, why didn't y'all remember to eat? So to me, it would have been tough to have compassion for these people. But Jesus still had compassion for them. Jesus still had compassion for them. And then when you think about all he went through with his death on the cross, um, betrayed, whipped, his back torn to like shreds and how much blood he lost with that, beat up, thorns put on his head, nails in his body, crucified. And in this process of getting crucified, it says in Mark chapter 15, verse 23, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So myrrh, I looked up, is something that numbs the pain. Jesus didn't do anything to numb the pain. And as God-fearing men, we have to remember this because sometimes we will experience pain in our life. And you know what we do? We turn to the bottle. We smoke. We drink. We have sex. We do things that we think are going to numb the pain. But what Jesus did is he relied and he trusted in, in God's plan. He trusted in his father's plan. And Jesus is the epitome of toughness because Jesus could have destroyed us and he would have been justified for doing it. He had all the reason. He had all the power to do it, but he did not tap into that power and he chose to forgive us instead. So this is a great lesson for us to learn if we truly want to be a man. When we have that power, don't take the easy route. We can be like Jesus in this way and forgive. And what we have to realize is that Jesus didn't want our sympathy. Jesus wants our repentance and he wants for us to see the consequences of our sin. He wants our heart. He wants our hearts and faith to rest on the forgiveness that we have a new life because of what he did on the cross and the debt that he paid for us. So I can live a manly man's life because of him. And the last thing, the last trait that I want to look at is love. Like a God fearing man will love. So in this episode of bruh, be a man, 
If you want to be a man, you need to love. First Corinthians 13 verse 11, I think sums this up and I'm gonna give you some background after I read this to you. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, what I didn't realize, or I, maybe I overlooked this, is before this, you know, it was talked about so much is how to love and loving when it's not easy to love. This is where like the love is patient, love is kind. All of that comes right before this, because when you are a child, it's super easy to love when somebody's giving you everything. Right. When 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 somebody is telling you that you're the best. But it's super hard to love when things aren't going your way. It's super hard to love when you feel like, man, this should be done differently. But when you become a man, you can make that choice to love because of what Jesus has done for you and how he has done that for us and how we can be motivated and inspired and, and led by the spirit to do this. Now, this is the type of love that you can do as a man. This is the type of love that we should be doing as God fearing man. And that's just something for us to think about. Now, Ephesians 5, verse 33, it says, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And I'm going to just stop right there. I'll read the rest of you next week. He makes it very clear to us, especially for those who, who have families, for have who have wives, to love them as you love yourself. Now, our Lord and Savior is, is the perfect example of love, of making the choice to love despite it being tough despite it not being reciprocated because a lot of times we like man i don't know if i can do this because they might not love me back but jesus still did that jesus was so loving jesus wanted the best for each and every one of us and he did this and he experienced and he declared us not guilty and he suffered because he loved us so when you think about being a god-fearing man you have to love and we can love like jesus because he first loved us and this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Bruh, Be a Man. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I am out.